Welcome to the Scuffed Podcast. I'm Adam Bells in Minneapolis. With me is Greg Velasquez in Des Moines. We talk about U.S. men's soccer. Thanks for downloading this episode of Scuffed. Our guest today is Tootle Raman, an indispensable voice in American soccer. By day, he's a brand manager for a big company that you've probably heard of, but he's written about soccer for years, and he's produced a couple of podcasts. 25 Stories That Made MLS is on all the platforms, and he's working on something new, I believe, which we will discuss later. Anyway, few people are as sharp on the mechanics of MLS roster building as Tootle is which is kind of the key topic today. So thank you for making time for us. How are you doing? Good, man. This is a dream come true for me. (laughs) Thank you for having me. Seriously. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Greg, how are you doing? Uh, I'm good. If you haven't seen it yet, uh, make sure you find Toodle's uh, compilation of uh, major goal scorer, goal scored in major games by U.S. men's national team players, where where he really (laughs) did a great job of cutting through sort of the the stat padding that might go on in some of the, uh, some of the CONCACAF uh, matches against minnows and, and really like focused on who scores for the U S men's national team in games that quote unquote matter. Yeah. Key takeaway there was, is Landon Donovan was really good. <laughs> that was a, that was a labor of love for sure. So last week, Matt, Matt Hartman and I discussed several USL prospects and we posed a lot of questions about the pathway from USL to elite soccer for players like Jonathan Gomez at Lou City and Jose Gallegos at San Antonio uh, FC. But we didn't really answer those questions, I would say. And then a, a day later, Tootle comes out with a thread on Twitter that answers a bunch of the questions. And I thought, hell, let's just have him on the podcast to explain what's going on. But before before you get us into the weeds, maybe first you, Tootle, then you, Greg, take on the question of like why does this question matter because i think some people will be like i don't care about usl what's why are you talking about this why does this question matter in your view yeah it's an it's an important question for two reasons in my point and and i'm i take it as from like the angle from maybe the league office one one point is um the improvement of the of that pipeline between usl and mls probably means that usl is getting better and that gap is getting closer and that means that it's a talent pipeline to make the league better for major league soccer and that is like something that absolutely has to be done and has continued to be work on in order to reach its goals of what mls is trying to do which is being a a league of global relevance so that's one two is and i think uh the your podcast on on the prospects which is kind of a new realm for usl um, at least from my standpoint is that the league is trying to turn into a selling league which means it needs to figure out ways as much as possible to get younger players in develop them and sell out for a revenue source and and the league is getting to the point where some of the traditional revenue sources that you get from um, fundraising from expansion to like honestly in-game attendance is quite good in this league and so the the Remaining revenue source of selling players is an untapped potential need of which USL can play a pretty big, um, pretty big key in that cog. So to me, those are the two reasons why it's important. What about you, Greg? Uh, I mean, I, I won't be able to improve much on what Tootle just said, but uh, I, I see still 
the lack of the of the pipeline between the two leagues uh, almost creates this this tension where USL is sort of being used as a stopgap by some players who want to go to Europe uh, or who want to play at a higher level, but see MLS as essentially a hindrance to that. They don't want to get locked into MLS stuff, so they go to L- uh, USL with the express purpose of of hiding out there until they they turn 18 and they go to Europe. Uh, we saw it with Ledesma, Sebastian Soto, Mendez, Yanez, uh, uh, and then just recently with Kobe and uh, Brian Keo. So I, I, it would be great if they could sort of grease the the wheels between those two leagues where uh, players would be comfortable signing USL and then still signing MLS rather than just sort of uh, waiting until they turn 18 and going to trying to go to Europe. Yeah, I guess my the way I look at it is if we have – if we have a bunch of USL clubs that are a legitimate place for a good prospect to go and then and then be sold to to Europe or or to to an MLS team that's that just dramatically expands the universe of good development spots in our country so i mean what are there like 48 USL championship clubs don't quote me on that number but it's a lot and and uh if they're all like a, a legit place to develop and then be sold, then you would think, you know, five years, 10 years down the road, the men's national team is going to be better. And that's really, that's really what I'm, you know, interested in. I mean, I want MLS to succeed. I want USL to succeed because I love soccer and I, and I love this country with some caveats. But, um, but I think like, that's what, that's how I think about it. Yeah, you sort of need it, right? From a development funnel of a country this size, you need USL to work yeah. to to cover the country for sure. We gotta uncover as many Alfonso Davieses as possible. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Noted USL alum Alfonso Davies. <laughs> Wait, did he ever ever play in USL? Yeah, he only played. Yeah, okay. Yeah, Whitecaps too. Okay. So, um, Tuto, why is it? unlikely right now that a player like Jose Gallegos, who's performing at a pretty high level for San Antonio, why is it unlikely that he will get picked up by an MLS team? Yeah, there's a couple like roster, there's a couple rules that make make it difficult. Um, and I think at a, at a very high level, if you think about the roster creation, there's sort of tiers of where you put players, right? So you have designated players, which they need to be like some of the top talents in the league. Then you have what they call like TAM players, where you're putting a lot of your resources against it, and they need to be well above average players. Um, and then you have kind of building the rest of the roster underneath that. Um, and and the tricky thing with a with a player like Gallegos is that he's very clearly a top end prospect. I mean, you saw how good he was versus FC Dallas, so against MLS competition. Um, his age and his skill set makes him really desirable, I think. Um, from a scouting standpoint. And so it, it raises the question is like why like why not just pay a transfer fee which you know I know you guys talked about it but let's assume it's someone between 500,000 or a million dollars to get Gallegos under your under your wing. And then one of the the key issues with it the way it's set up is that any transfer fee when you um, take a player in the cost of the transfer plus the salary over the the time of the salary divided by the years is basically the roster hit. So let's let's imagine you want to sign Gagos for um, three years, three hundred thousand dollars a year, and it's like a it's a million dollar or a one point five million dollar transfer fee. 
the cap hit that you have on Gallegos then is the transfer fee divided by three, so 500,000 plus the salary that you're giving him, so 300,000. So that means this cap hit is 800 grand. 800 grand means you have to then start using your resources that you have either as a designated player or what we call a GAM or allocation player. Um, and traditionally, those spots right now, in order to be competitive in the league, um, needs to be someone who is at an all-star or well above average. And I think we can look at Gallegos as saying he's a great prospect. I'm not sure you can say with like certainty that if you put him into an MLS side right now that he's better than an average starter in MLS today, right? And so that's kind of the calculus of why it's kind of difficult to do that um, or the, the first kind of barrier to prevent you from doing that because majority of those allocation resources and definitely designated player spots usually go into uh, more quote-unquote certain bets. Um, and that's the, that's the main barrier. I think that barrier is a little bit kind of a mental barrier as well because if you look at the decision-making on how those resources are used, they don't hit all the time. And, and if you think about um, using allocation dollars, like if you wanted to get the number one draft pick for a college draft or super draft, it's going to cost you a few hundred thousand in allocation. Um, you know, Portland paid 300000 for Williamson. Uh, like the New York Rebels just used a designated player spot on a 20-year-old from England who's number, like only has League One experience. Like there's no way you could say he's a, he's a surefire at win. Um, so I think a lot of it is is mental. So getting over the hurdle of like, yes, it's a risk, but it's not any different than a risk than we normally take. Um, but it, from a fan standpoint, it's important to consider like it's not as easy as like in the European leagues where you're like, this is just a, a million dollar investment. It's a million dollar investment plus resources and a roster space that's usually allocated towards true difference makers in order to be competitive in this league. And that is kind of a gamble to take. Yeah. So, so to would it be fair to kind of say that when you're going to get into allocation money players and obviously designated players, those guys essentially have to be win now type players. You're not you're not paying that money to sit on them and see if they hit in a year or two. Well, traditionally, yes. Like if you look at like all the best teams, I mean, majority of their allocation players and, and designated players are are winning now. Like LAFC. Atlanta back in the day, their their target like Toronto FC, like all their players that were either on designated players or target allocation money or now general allocation money, they're better than average players now today. FC Dallas has started to change that way. So like um, uh, Pomichol's contract and Ferreira's contract are allocation money contracts. I would argue Pomichol has demonstrated he's already today better than an average starter in his position. Ferreira is probably average and you're you're making somewhat of a bet on it um so it wasn't they weren't coming off a zero base kind of knowledge there there was data points that showcase that it's a, it's a smart play but it is a kind of a new play they're they're generally focused on win now um concepts and and it's it's interesting because like um the win now concept um is is unique here in that it's a high parity league and every team in general is in a win now state. It might not be win this year, but within two years or three years, the expectation is you should be able to win. And that's not necessarily true in Europe either, where you have clear hierarchies of teams, right? Um, or you play in a league, like if you're Ajax or Benfica, where you can make bets like this because honestly, you're so much better than your competitive set. 
it doesn't really matter if you miss once or twice. You can use your league to develop your players. Exactly. You, you, are, you win the league three-fourths of the way through. I know IX didn't do that last year, but traditionally they're yeah. comfortable. Yeah, the parity in those leagues are so off. You know, like IX's second team would be compar- uh, competitive in, in the Air Divisie. Benfica's second team would be competitive in the league. You know, like, so they, if they miss on, on one or two prospects, it's not that big of a deal. Um, and that leeway doesn't exist in, in Major League Soccer. And that expectation also that, you know, every team should be finding a way to be competitive kind of is another hurdle in this as well. Is there a, um, is there a possibility that that cap hit dynamic where you, where the transfer fee is split in, you know, sort of amortized or I don't know, maybe that's not the right term, but, you know, divided by the years of the contract. Is that, is there a chance that that will go away someday? Or is that like so essential to the, the way MLS operates that it's just going to Amortize is definitely the right word to use. Okay. So hundred percent. That was nice. Good accounting term. Um, I think, I think the reason why I exist today is again, to promote parity. I think what you see though, from the league is that if they necessarily see this as a barrier to getting very obvious prospects that they should be having in the system and not just once or twice. So like if Gallegos and Gomez is a trend, like you're starting to lose a lot of prospects. The league has shown that it will make a rule to then incent teams to go after these players, right? So um, I know Total Soccer showed they made a um, term kind of in jest, like a domestic allocation fund. There's no reason why the league couldn't do that and say, this is a fund directly to go after USL prospects and, and to go after it. Um, the, I think the, the hesitation from the league of just taking away these barriers and those restrictions is that it becomes kind of free play and then you would then lose the parity in the league where some of the teams that are willing to invest a lot on this would just swallow up all the assets. Like on Lenny United, would just take the, all the Gallegoses of the world and pay for all the, and then all of a sudden you have certain teams that just can't compete. And I think that is like, um, that is the risk on it. That's, that's the hesitation of why these haven't been pulled away. Um, but can we, can I see it one day? Yeah, absolutely. Especially if it's like identified as a key hurdle that needs to be overcome and the way to solve it is through a new mechanism. Yeah. I mean, can I can I stay on Gallegos for a second and, and even go back one layer uh, before uh, USL? Uh, because you know when we were talking about Gallegos, Bells, he did that. He, he did FC Dallas in that preseason friendly uh, back in February. Uh, he was unattached at that point. He was unsigned. He was not. He didn't have a contract. Tudor, is there anything that was that sort of disincentivizes MLS from trying to swoop in right then and there, uh, like the day after that game, to try to get Gallegos on a on a contract where they only they wouldn't have to pay a transfer fee, and they essentially just have to build in wages that are a little bit better than what you'd be getting for from San Antonio. Yeah, there's there's actually two things that kind of make it more complicated than it should be. Um, one is um, the, the mechanisms to bring players into the league. It can't. It's it, there's three main ways. One is a homegrown contract. Um, two is through the draft. Um, and three is through the waiver wire. These are for amateur players, so unattached players that haven't played professionally before. I believe uh, he was a high school. I believe he was a high school soccer player at that point. Right. So th- the way he would come into the league is Major League Soccer would have to sign him to a 
a contract because he wasn't part of the academy system, my understanding, any academy system. So he can't be signed on the homegrown. So he has to be signed by Major League Soccer, has probably a generation Adidas, and then part of the draft. Um, and then that means Gallegos gives up where he goes and lands, if that makes sense, right? So if he, if he knows he wants to stay home, which it certainly seems like he did, then that is one barrier why not to sign that contract. Like, um, um, there's been a few exceptions throughout history um, where MLS has bent the rules for, but like traditionally, these are the three ways in. So that's one barrier. The second barrier I think is growing is, and you'll see this in Gomez, which is the worry that I sign a homegrown contract, I don't get paid that much, and I'm locked up for three or four years, and there's not a really strong incentive to develop me or grow me as a person, right? And that's, a, that's also a very real one. Um, so step one to step back is like, why do homegrown contracts have a certain range of how much they pay people? It's because um, homegrowns in the MLS cap structure um, allows a certain level above the minimum salary uh, to be kind of off the salary budget. So they're on the supplementary roster um, and hence their budget actually doesn't hit the salary cap at all. So Tyler Adams, when he was part of the 2018 team, um, he's like the probably, you can argue, top three important player on the team. He was not counted against the salary budget, which made Red Bull allowed to like basically buy other players, make the team stronger, right? Um, but that limit is, I think, um, it's there's a limit to that. It's like a, it's like a hundred thousand, hundred fifty thousand dollars a salary. So if Gallegos is demanding like say a few hundred thousand dollars to say, hey, commit to me to showcase that you want to develop me, then then the teams lose that financial benefit of, of signing young players, which is then they count against the cap. Um, Secondly, like, yes, I mean, they sign for multiple years. They, if they're a low salary budget that doesn't count against the cap, it really, there's not a really strong incentive for a team to then try to make this work like you do with other players that you've already invested money against and saying like, all right, they're against the cap. We have to try to make this work. And so I think there's kind of two elements in that. And, and there's ways, there's financial ways to kind of show incentive for me to develop you, for me to sell you later, um, that's been kind of tried out by FC Dallas. But those are the two kind of barriers of why I think if you're a young prospect now, USL doesn't have those barriers. You can just sign to a USL team um, that MLS does. And, and that means Gallegos could, or any player, could sign for any USL team they want, right? I mean, Gallegos could have been like, hey, I'm actually going to go play for uh, Omaha or I'm going to go play for Madison. I am not a USL rules expert, but I believe that's the case, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, those those two things are are legitimate barriers that need to be kind of addressed, especially as you get into prospects that are like, literally, you're like, hey, normally without any salary rules, I would invest in a few hundred thousand dollars in salary, and I would set up the contract in a way that it, it will incent me to sell on in the future, but the the mechanisms that were in place for reasons years ago kind of prevent that from happening now. The like the solid brass tax obstacles to Dallas buying or signing Gallego seems so strong, like seems so legitimate that I wonder, you, you know, you, you said in your thread on Twitter and you said just a couple minutes ago that you also think there's a mental bias. Does there even have to be a mental bias for this to not happen, for this sort of thing to not happen, like Gallego's getting picked up by Dallas or I don't know. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think the argument of why it's partly mental 
uh, on, on a Gallegos thing is there are clubs that have invested in, um, in young talent, unproven talent, spending this level of resources. Like I use Red Bulls as an example. They just signed uh, Drew Yearwood to a young DP contract. The year before, they signed Mateus Jorgensen, who's been playing in USL, and his transfer fee was in the seven figures range as well. So there's a okayness in certain clubs to pay that fee for talent abroad, but a hesitation to pay that fee for talent domestically. And I think um, I'll give an example that was six years ago, um, different different times, but um, when Miguel Ibarra broke through in the U.S. men's national team, he was playing at NASL. And it was obvious that he was good enough to play in Major League Soccer, right? Um, but the NASL team, I think it was Minnesota. Well, was lo local hero yeah. for Bell. Yeah. You know, demanded a, a solid size, you know, transfer fee, which is representative to his talent, um, which Major League Soccer teams balked at. And that's why he went to Club Leon. You know, it was a million-dollar transfer fee. Again, a million-dollar transfer fees happen all the time. Look at FC Dallas. FC Dallas has started lineup. It's filled with players that have a million dollar transfer fees that are league average players. Like, um, um, and so, so that part to me is mental to me is like disassociating yourself from like this bias that, I mean, a lot of us have that form players are better and just looking at the player themselves and saying, if Gallegos is playing in Argentina or in USL, he's a special player. He's probably worth investing against. That part is mental, regardless of the salary cap structure. Okay. Um, and so I, I do think there's a small element there of which screams for a team to then break through and see that as a competitive advantage. Okay. So someone has to be less skeptical of USL performance indicating that, that they're going to translate into the, into the MLS. Yeah, especially with this new, I mean, your show on the, the top nine is, was excellent. I think there's a, Gallegos and Gomez are special talents, right? And it's sort of a new new frontier. Um, and so the first team that I think recognizes it and doesn't go, you know what, it kind of sucks, our rules suck, he's probably going to end up in Europe, you know, um, and instead says, hey, the rest of the teams are kind of stuck in, in a little bit in the past. This is my opportunity to swoop in. You know, like I'm Colorado. There's a, there's, I can swoop in and get one of the most exciting talents in American soccer and get them into my, into my, uh, into my team. Um, but it requires one of the GMs to think that way and, and to break through. And I know we usually like to throw out a lot, of, a lot of caveats about young talent, about how there are no guarantees. But I will just say Jose Gallegos will be the next Arjun Robin. <laughs> he's pretty good he is for he is destined for multiple champions league. does Arjen robin have multiple champions league trophies i don't know uh, <laughs> no I, I mean that that's that's sort of always the underlying uh uh risk here is that for as much as we've been using gallegos as the example there's there still are no guarantees that he does i mean and, and we feel like he's a special talent he's exciting to watch and i think his, his aesthetic when he plays uh, plays a big part into how excited you can get about that kind of a player, uh, but yeah, sir, so we it's still very possible that he would he would sign and and sort of uh, fall out. I mean, not 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 break through. I, I would say as a as a community, you know, I think we we need to see Gallegos at a higher level. You know, that at a minimum, it would be very interesting to see him at a higher level. You know, right? We all need that experiment to happen. MLS GMs are just saying, we don't want to foot the bill for your yeah. experiment. 
And we're saying, yeah. please foot the bill. Yeah. 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 And, and I'm assuming he's going to make the U20 kind of teams. And, and once he's on that stage and you're, you're competing against European clubs, you kind of lose that advantage that MLS clubs have right now, which is he's right here. He's here for the taking, you know? Um, but yeah, it, it will require someone to be like, I'm willing to, to take the bet and put the bill on it. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I feel like this is going to be a growing trend. Like Gallego, so I don't think it will be a one-off. I think more and more prospects are seeing USL as a legitimate route. You see, you see USL clubs talking about this professional pathway, I feel like, more every month. You know, it seems like Orange County talks about it. San Antonio is talking about, you know, they had the, like, locker room video after Leo Torres's like USL debut. He's a 16-year-old who came up through their academy. They're super proud of that. So, yeah, I agree. I think it's going to – it's kind of a – the winds of change are blowing. I, I know this isn't your, you know, necessarily what you tweeted about or what you wanted to talk about, but but what do you think are, is the likelihood a European club would pay a, a million dollars for someone proven on the level that Gallegos is proven, which is admittedly not that much, not that much proof? I, I think I think realistically my gut would say um, it would happen once he showcases at the international youth level. I think USL is just like uh, un- understandably unproven um, internationally. There isn't many examples of someone making that jump from USL to European level. Um, I, if there was someone really into the league, I could see someone in actually like the the Nordic leagues being like this might be an opportunity to go into. Um, but I think most realistically is he shows up at the youth international level. He shows really really well. And that's when the offers will come in. Okay, yeah, makes sense. And Toodle, I don't want to, I don't want to necessarily like fan a bunch of uh, conspiracy flames here. Is there any reason that MLS would would not want to funnel money into USL? Is there any like uh, branding or marketing where uh, they would see that as a uh, as bad for their uh, their long term sort of uh, success? Um, I don't think so. I know I've I've seen. Some of those things um i think the barriers are literally the salary rules and, and the mentality aspect i don't think there's a grand conspiracy from a league standpoint to make sure usl stays you don down. garber sell out you <laughs> <laughs> um, there's enough reasons why this is happening that i don't need to, i don't think you need to dip into that pool well any, you guys, either of you got anything else on this subject? We got a couple other things I want to hit. Uh, I, I want to go back real quick to to sort of that uh, structuring contact, contracts with the incentive to sell as far as MLS teams when they when they sign their guys or when they re up their guys. And I know people talk a, little, a lot about the Reggie Cannon contract, and I'm sure it's it's been sort of uh, laid out. But just in case some some folks listening here uh, aren't familiar with it, Tootle, would you be able to run through how Reggie Cannon's contract is set up? by FC Dallas. He re-signed in what? This year, I think. This year? Yeah. So how do they do it where where he doesn't, he wouldn't feel like he's locked into Dallas, unable to sort of make that next step up? Yeah, I think the easiest way to understand it is like, um, what makes Reggie Cannon super valuable in, in a salary cap structure? And then how do you then structure the salary to make him ironically less valuable in the future? And so, like, the team would want to actually move the contract off. And so what makes Reggie Cannon super valuable is that he was signed as a homegrown, which means his, his contract is low, 
it's low enough that it actually doesn't hit the um, hit the budget originally. Um, so he's basically a, a free player on your budget, and he performs at a well above average MLS starter, if not like top, I would say twenty percent in the league, right? So that in terms of competitive advantage, Cannon is huge, um, and as a tradable asset in the league, it's it's a huge, huge um, asset to have. As long as his salary is low, his value is high, right? If he is a designated player, so he's making a million dollars, the same performance, his value contract is low because you normally don't spend that kind of level of money and that asset towards the right back, right? And so the way they structured it, at least to my understanding, is that um, is that they were like, hey, we want to showcase to you, Reggie Cannon, that like we're committed to you in terms of years, but we're going to structure in a way that like your value, your contract value this year is still super high. So my contract hit, how much you're hitting my salary con- uh, budget this year is still lower than what you should be getting paid. And hence your, your value in terms of my roster construction is very high. But the next year, you're going to have a huge increase in salary, right? And the year after that, it, it might get to, and I don't have the direct numbers, but imagine it gets to a number where I need to start paying either allocation money or I need to put a designated player slot on him. That makes his salary less valuable to MLS teams, and you know that year is coming. So, like, imagine it's two years down the road. So that means I can tell Reggie Cannon, it's like, hey, I'm more likely to keep you now, but I know there's going to be a time where, like, your contract is actually not going to be super valuable to me. And... And that means I'm more likely to try to cash in by this year or next year to sell you. In the in the off chance that like Cannon gets hurt or his performance dips, he's covered without being sold, right? He's gonna get this payout. And it's on it's on FC Dallas's books, and they're the ones who are carrying that risk. FC Dallas's benefit is that for this year, they can construct the, construct their roster they want to based on the salary budget, and they know in the future they can cash in and sell the contract in, in the future. So that's basically, you see that often in the NBA as well. Okay, well, we got, we're going to come back to FC Dallas for sure, but um, before we do that, can you can you talk tell us about the project you're working on? Like, also yep. also tell us about Twenty Five Stories That Made MLS a little bit because I mean that's been out yep. for a while, but yeah. So me and my brother work on a podcast. It's um the. It's called 25 Stories That Made MLS. Um, originally, it was built for the 25th anniversary this year, and it's more of a business-oriented podcast, so it's less about, like, the teams and, and like, you know, this was a great year by this player. It was more like, hey, if you look at the league now, like, what are the things, what were the building blocks that made the league the way it is from a how did Toronto FC become a team to, like, why do we have these weird allocation rules, like, all these things, when you look at a macro level over a 25-year span, kind of makes sense. And then, and and for me, when I started putting it together, um, again, it's more in a business lens. But you see the growth of the league because I think when you're focused on this year, um, it's very easy to get frustrated in terms of being like, why aren't these things happening? But when you look at a 25-year review, um, you see the bigger picture and how things were set up and how much progress was made. So I thought it was good for, especially I live in Atlanta now, so. A lot of fans here have joined the league like three years ago with the team. So for them to be able to take in the stories of why things are the way they are. So that was season one. Season two, then um, we're focused on kind of two parts. One is um, the Hall of Fame project, which is 
now forget the business side. Let's talk about the 25 best MLS careers ever. And so starting from Landon Donovan, and our most recent one is Chad Marshall. And then uh, we're doing a similar project on 25 stories that made women's soccer here. Um, so like, how did that get started? And, and to me, that's super interesting because um, it has almost the opposite issue as MLS, which is it kind of needs to grow the global game, but we have the best players, right? So, um, so those are sort of, those are sort of the projects. They're born from this place of like understanding the history of it, and I think they're interesting of of understanding and appreciating the world of why it is. And then the Hall of Fame project is more about appreciating some of the players that I think if you haven't if you joined the league in the last few years, you probably don't know about or appreciate as much as I do. And you're a you're a Red Bulls fan, right? I mean, or at least you came up that yeah. way. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. I I like lived right next to the stadium, so. Okay. Yeah. yeah, man, you you're busy. How do you you got any like efficiency productivity tips for us while we're at it? <laughs> I mean, I feel like you know I I enjoy this stuff, um, and so it's pretty easy to spend time on things that I enjoy. And and to me, there's value. I'm sure you guys feel the same way of like creating things and putting it out there. Yeah. It's better than you know my other inkling was just to sit and play video games sometimes, <laughs> which is then it's hard to justify why you put so many hours into it. Is there are there is there an interview component to any of this any of this work? Are you doing are you interviewing any of like the 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 players? Uh, both, yeah. both on the business side and on the on So the on field? the business side, it, it was interesting. We ended up um, interviewing a few people through like um, informal ways, um, and uh, and we were starting to talk about it. It'd be cool to get access, but I think the amount of work and stuff that we wanted to put out. We just didn't have time to like put in the work of like, you know, the hours of getting the interviews in and putting it together yeah. to make one episode, right? Because we were originally on a fast track of trying to do 25 episodes in like 10 weeks. Um, <laughs> and so like it wasn't possible then. I think now it would be, it'd be interesting and, and, you know, we'll see how it moves on in the future of like upping kind of interviews and the production quality. But currently it's more informal than anything else. Yeah. Yeah, booking interviews is a lot of work. It's it why, is. We, why we don't do it more often. Um, Greg, any questions? Any questions from you? Uh, give us more on on your New York Red Bull obsession. Yeah, I mean they're my hometown team. I mean I followed them since the Metro Stars, um, and like I think when Red Bulls first took over and then you had like honestly Red Bull Arena and again I, I lived in Harrison so it was incredible to see this European style stadium yeah. in a town that is I, I'm not kidding is like one square mile <laughs> like it was and it was like right next to where I lived um, and then all of a sudden like Thierry Henry's playing in your town and you're like he's taking the same metro as you are and it's like it was kind of mind mind numbing um i had season tickets like on the uh, pretty close to the sidelines and um and i really i really love the club in terms of obviously the location but then eventually they turned into this academy system and and you can see sort of what mls could be through what they're trying to achieve right which is more globally connected really investing in youth i mean from a youth standpoint like the amount of resources they put into academy development is really, really big. And and the more FC Dallas's and Red Bulls and, and Philadelphia Unions that we have, I think the stronger our U.S. program could be, right? Um, it's frustrating because they don't win as many titles as I would like them to do. 
Um, but the support year, support shields winning years were really great. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, that's, that's kind of where the passion lies in. And now that I, when I moved to Atlanta, obviously there's a national rivalry there. So I've enjoyed having quite a bit of banter with some local, local folks here on uh, between the two teams. Bradley Wright Phillips, how underrated, how underrated is he? Like super underrated. I mean, when you look at his numbers from a, like not a one year, but from a three year or five year window, it's pretty unprecedented, his performance. Um, and uh, it's unfortunate. I think he now gets the chance to do it with LAFC, but I think, I mean, he showed in MLS's back that he still has it um, and how, how important a clinical striker and someone who's willing to put in the work in the press and, and hold up play and connect attackers can be in, on a team. Um, doesn't really get the appreciation that he deserves because in the beginning he was like obviously coming from League One and T.R. Henry was here and Rafa Marquez was here. And um, to me, he's in the same boat as like Wondolowski as being under underappreciated. Okay, cool. So I'm looking forward to season four of the 25 most underappreciated. Hundred <laughs> percent. That's a good idea. BWP is just so fun to watch. I think like he he's a good passer. He scores in all sorts of different ways. Yeah. His his movement is really good. Yeah. Yeah. He's a solid player. Um, you know, before we go to the to like the trashing FC Dallas segment. Just kidding, that's not what we're going to do. But before we get to like uh, sort of a, a discussion of what happened with FC Dallas and Player Kids, I do want to go back to the USL thing and ask you, Toodle, like what's, what is likely to be, what is likely to happen like with Gallegos and, and Gomez? Is there, is there hope? Is it hopeless? For MLS to get yeah. one of those two? Yeah. I, I think Gallegos, if I had to bet, is going to Europe because, um, I, I mean, I'm, like you guys, I'm high on the player, and I think once you put him in the in the youth international platform, like European teams are going to come after him. Um, Gomez, I think, is the more interesting one because I think you guys rightfully said, like, international rules means he's he's here for until he's 18. Right? Which is a, so year he a, and, a year and a couple weeks away, yeah. Year, yeah, and so um, there is, I think – especially if, if, if he continues to progress where he's obviously um, he's obviously good enough for MLS and he's not able to make the jump in Europe because of rules. And if you combine that with Gallegos being sold for a significant fee, I think he's more likely that someone wakes up and is like, we need to sign this, sign this kid to a two or three year contract and invest in him and then cash in on it. It's almost like you, we, like if I know, if you look at the history of Major League Soccer, it requires like a very clear case on why you need to make this change. And a Gallegos going to Europe and having a significant fee attached to it, when you're like, why isn't MLS tapping into this? It's almost required before you get that action. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I hope that like, again, if I was a GM and I had a few hundred thousand dollars in allocation money, like I would be going after this right now. But I think it's much more likely that it happens after one player makes a USL to Europe jump for a fee. Okay. All right. Well, so what happened? What happened to FC Dallas and Lucha Gonzalez and play your kids? There's been some discussion of this from Third Degree Net. Uh, Buzz Buzz Carrick has yeah. talked about it. What's going on there? 
Yeah, I think, I mean, Buzz did a great job of outlining it, which is if you look at the um, investment that of the players that they've invested in to play, come in, um, they've invested it in in older players, and that almost limits the um, ability then to play the kids, which is a complete 180 of where FC Dallas was last year, right? Where we were like, oh, my God. Like, every single game was basically a... a a window to the future of the U.S. soccer program, um, but I, I'd also like to point out, like the year before that, it was much like this year, right? It was like they had the same talent pool, and all of a sudden they weren't getting playing time. Um, so I think there's kind of three things that are driving it. One is uh, there is a fundamental thing about a league with parity that um, that other leagues don't have to deal with, uh, and I talked about it a little earlier, but if FC Dallas wants to win trophies, there is a natural tension of filling a team with as many above average players in the MLS starter world sense as possible. And, and if you looked at like Edwin Cerillo, I think can play at the MLS level today. I think he showed it a few times last year, but I don't think he's better than an average starter today. Right. right. Um, he did hit a banger last night or two nights he ago. He did. Yeah. He did. Um, but you know, in, in like our perfect world where we want to see development, you give Saria the chance to grow into it in a world where everyone has basically the same level of resources. Um, if you upgrade that spot to someone theoretically better than average, you go to a, um, a different level of a team, right? And that expectation exists for every single team to a certain degree. Like you, every team is expected to compete in a high parity league. And FC Dallas, like they see a window where they're like, I have some of these players that are going to come up. I have resources for making some sales. Like the Chris Richards sales has, has given me a lot of allocation money to play with, um, as did um, the past sales that they've done before that, the Guarezo sale. And so they're, they're trying to reinvest into the team to win now. And that's going to be common in a parity league where it's not as common for um, – for other teams where there's a clear hierarchy, right? Where you're like, I'm either going to win everything regardless if I sell or sell players or not, or like I'm a Leon and I'm never going to win league one against PSG. But my, my role now is to try to be top four and I'm going to invest in younger players. Right. And so there's like a general thing about American soccer and parity that's always going to drive this tension between youth development and winning now. And that's not going to go away. It, it isn't so and 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 for the ones who say like hey you can do both invest in your team and like invest in the academy there hasn't been one example of it like lafc um wins because they 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 play players who succeed now and and for the young players that are succeeding now they paid millions and millions and millions of dollars for those players right um elena doesn't play kids i mean bello just broke through a little bit right but like like there is a national tension there. And so I think it's most realistic, even for the clubs who are, um, who are academy focused and invested that there's going to come in waves. Like wait, like there's going to be a year where you're like, I'm not going to make it. I don't, I'm not going to be able to go after a trophy this year. So I can play the kids to now. I think I can go after a trophy and hence I need to bring in other talent. RSL, I mean, their last um, lineup did not feature a single person under the age of 23. 
and like a few years ago they were playing a lot of kids so mm. i think i think there's natural waves that come with it it's unfortunate but i think it's it's a, a semblance of the parody system man i'd never really thought about it like that that's that's yeah. super helpful the uh, you, go ahead do you think anything in in dallas would change minds if if they you know they take these more expensive players and actually managed to do worse this year than they did last year playing all of their U.S. Olympic team. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think I think uh, I think a failure there would would definitely change kind of the approach on it. But like I think the the general structure, the salary cap structure, and and being competitive would then say, all right, what's the new approach? And I think it would be, uh, I think the way that I would rethink about it is instead of having kind of a million dollar transfer fee for like five or six different slots is like if you have an academy system is like you might be okay with Edwin Cerillo who's like an MLS level player he might be slightly below average today as a versus other starters but I'm going to go really big with our three designated players like really big like not like Hara big I'm going like let's go find some of the best players in South America pay 10 million dollars and that's how I'm going to invest on it and then pair that with the academy system. But the fact of the matter is we haven't seen one team fully break through with the strategy that works here. Philadelphia Union, for example, I think everyone now sees them as like super excited because of Brandon Narison and Mark McKenzie. The, the fact of the matter is if they sell Mark McKenzie this year, they're not winning a trophy. Like McKenzie already is like a critical piece in their defense. Like there's not a natural backup to him where it's like, oh, okay, you can slot this person in and they're not going to lose a step. Brandon Harrison, to a lesser degree, same thing, right? And so if they do sell them, they are signaling, it's like, hey, we're giving up our chance of winning a trophy this year, of which they are pretty close of having a puncher chance of, of winning a trophy. They were pretty good in MLS back. So yeah. um, that conflict is really real. And then I think we have, to, we have to take a step back and say, it's easy to look at FC Dallas and be like, man, it's really disappointing. Because it is, as a U.S. soccer fan, it is disappointing to see. But like, that tension is really real. And if you're an FC Dallas fan, like there is not a clear strategy of both playing your kids and winning trophies. It just doesn't, hasn't happened yet. Like, um, in a big way. The problem I, the problem with FC Dallas though, is like they had their ups and downs last year, right? Last season, 2019, but they did end up, they were unlucky to lose to Seattle in the first round of the playoffs. And Seattle was of course the eventual champion the, in MLS is back. And so far since MLS is back, with a much older and more, you know, like $1 million transfer free fee from South America, heavy roster, they look like total crap, you know, like they can't. And I know, you know, you can't be like a prisoner of the moment or whatever, but it's, it doesn't seem like there, it doesn't seem like they're going to be winning any trophies this year either, I guess is what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's certainly not working, working now. I mean, I guess you could make an argument that like, Hey, new players require a little bit of time. Um, and I guess the calculus was like, hey, we have a really exciting young talent, but maybe we need more talent to, to get us over the hurdle. And they, they made that bet. I, my, my point isn't to defend what FC Dallas is doing. I think, obviously, they put me to sleep three times in one half based on their attack today. So um, I'm, not, I'm not enjoying it either. But um, I do understand from a business constraint standpoint of why they made that decision. You know what I mean? Um, to see if it works. And... If it doesn't work, the hope is then like Philly looks at it and doesn't replicate it and then goes a different strategy. 
But I think we have to also take a step back and say, like, there hasn't been a team that has won trophies built off just kids yet. And it's because of that that pair. Go ahead, Greg. Sorry. Well, I was going to say something else that's working against it, uh, and, and is is the playoff format where uh, you know we, we were talking last year about after after Pomacall's, uh U twenty World Cup, like this could be his his value could be sort of peaking here. I wonder, you know, we wonder if Dallas will offload him in in the summer window where European teams are off, uh, but because everyone is sort of in the playoffs. Uh, you still have a shot at MLS Cup, whereas if there were no playoffs and you were just trying to win Supporter Shield, you yeah. know you're, you're not attention for Supporter Shield. So that would actually be a prime time for MLS to just sell guys, sell off their assets every summer yep. and, and take another run at it next year. But with the playoffs, it's like, no, no, no. Anybody can win once we get to the playoffs. So let's hold on to them, see if we can't make this run. Uh, and, and so we lose sort of that, that window because of that tension of, Let's let's see if we can put a playoff run together. Yeah, yeah, and the uh, yeah, there's only a few teams that you know that you're out to playoff contention in a regular year early on. This year is like I think yeah, you're right. It's like two thirds of the league is going in the playoffs, so that's definitely another barrier in place. The the other part of it is like there's a replacement cost with it, right? So like, and this is where you can see the Red Bulls really struggle. Is like you sell Tyler Adams, which is for Tyler Adams is 100% the right move to do. For the rebel global org was the right thing to do um but he was a top three defensive mid at that point um in the league without hitting your salary budget and replacing that is so hard hmm. like it's so hard like it's you could be like hey let's go buy a player but then you're investing a designated player spot that was free for you before right and that means one less dp spot for an attacker and so that that thing of like selling Pomacall, right, is like replacing Pomacall is as expensive as what the money is from selling Pomacall is. Um, and that that's why the incentive is like kind of not fully there. Um, there's, an, there's a push, I think, if you listen to Allocation Disorder of like, you know, allowing teams to take all their money that they get from a sale and totally reinvest it into, the, into their team. And I think that is a legitimate push on, on on promoting sales more because if you can invest five million dollars into allocation versus one that would make the a huge difference in teams being like all right yeah it's worth me developing and selling players and just be a race for that first team to sell i mean you you sell miguel amaron uh for what do you go for 24 million yeah and all of a sudden like, like the next day atlanta is, is untouchable like it would take no one no one would be able to play with them uh, yeah until they make their 20 million dollar sale Exactly. Exactly. And I think that's that's the league's point on why why they haven't done that. But I think there's a medium, right? Right now it's a million. You could say it's, it should be unlimited, but like a three or four million dollar changes the calculus of roster building overnight. Hmm. Interesting. Everyone's gonna, be listen- everyone's gonna have to be listening to this uh, this episode with their slide rule out. <laughs> it's true. No, but I think it's really I think it's a really good point about how parity the the desire for parity creates this system where you don't have clubs that are good but never have a chance of winning the league like like a Lille or a, a Lyon and and then this thing about the playoffs there's just too much room for hope every every July late July early August everybody still has room for hope we need to choke yep. the hope out of everyone yeah like just crush everyone's dreams within a month or two and just assume that it's going to be LAFC do it, I don't, 
do it like old style baseball pennant, you know, just a semifinals and a final. I know that'll, that'll, that'll never happen. Yeah. That's it. Um, yeah, that and like the other part of it is like in, in not the top five leagues, but your next tier down, it tends to be your top clubs that actually are the strongest in development, like a Benfica um, or a Sporting Lisbon. Um, but there you, you have almost the opposite problem where you're so good, you're so much better at your competition that you know that you can develop a Pox and Pomacol, sell him, and you don't need to immediately replace him and still win the league. Mm-hmm. right? So it's, it's this medium that we're in, those two places, where not any team – there's not, there's not many teams that feel like they're completely out of it, so they're incentive to sell and restart. And there's not many teams that are so much better that they're like, I can sell this player and still win the league. There, it's that medium place that we are, which makes sports exciting, to be honest, sometimes, that actually prevents developing and selling the players as well. Hmm. Okay. In-step in USL. That's, that's what we're hoping. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's not it's not exactly the the um, the most hopeful take, but it hopefully is enlightening in terms of why things are the way they are. Very enlightening, and I guess any, either of you have any closing thoughts? We've got about fifty two minutes. I think we can wrap it up. Unless Toodle, anything? I'm good. Thank Where you can, so much for having me. Thank you so much for making time. Where can people find you? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at um, Toodle is my name, um, and then 25 Stories, uh, the podcast, the Twitter handle is at 25 underscore stories, and that's available wherever podcasts are. And Toodle is T-U-T-U-L. Yes. Yeah. For all of you and Rio Linda. Greg, anything else? No, let's let's watch some of these USL guys uh, dominate the world at the U-20 World Cup next summer, uh, and every everything changes at that point. We can only hope. Yeah. Gallegos, a three-goal, two-assist uh, group stage. He's going to Lille. All right. <laughs> Thanks, Appreciate guys. It. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll see you.